All right, so this morning I want to do kind of a combo of last week and this week, just because it's hard to really separate them. In fact, even uh, Jeff last week was was kind of combining uh, with with a little bit uh, of of the 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 fruit or the rather the thorns of wh- what we do, how we tend to respond in a sinful way, and, and why, right? With a why diagram that he showed, and then of course the three trees. You really just can't look at just one part of that in and of itself. You have to see the whole thing. So we're going we're gonna to do that today. And then, uh, of course, we'll have the video, but that'll be a little bit closer to the end. So let's talk about this. So we've been looking at uh, why, why do we do... It's already started. <laughs> uh, why do we do what we do? Uh, typically, when... Uh, we think about this when the world talks about why do people do what they do. They they look at the outside. You know what are the what's the environment? What was the upbringing? What are the people around uh, the individual? What are the things that are bringing pressure? And so we've been looking at this uh, tree diagram, these three trees diagram, and, and affirming that that we all have heat. We all have the circumstances of life. We all have the pressures that uh, apply to all of us. And uh, that's really what is the context for our responses. So we're not denying that our circumstances, our environment, even our upbringing have an influence. Uh, but what we do want to say is that they are not determinative. No one can make you uh, do what you do. You know, uh, sometimes I hear uh, a spouse say, you know, I am... I'm kind and gentle and peaceful with everybody else. It's just my spouse that I struggle with, you know, that I blow up in anger and that I curse at or whatever. And it's their fault. You know, if they were like everybody else, we would be fine, <laughs> right? And we can think of that in our own lives of just particular circumstances or situations that, um, that are those situations that draw certain things out of us. So, so the heat is the environment, but the scripture would teach, as we've seen, that it's what's inside of us. It's our heart. So uh, let's, I, I want to do this drawing. And so remember from the three trees diagram, the heat is up here, represented by the sun. These are, the, these are our circumstances. And just to focus on the one side of the diagram, uh, there's the tree that is the thorny tree. That's the uh, sinful, ungodly responses. That's the, the things that come out of us that uh, are uh, disorienting, that are destructive, uh, that cause even more suffering. Now, what are those kinds of things? Well, just to uh, look at a few, go ahead and turn in your Bibles if you happen to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, when Paul is speaking about the transformation that should take place in the life of believers, he gets very specific in providing examples of what that transformation uh, transformation should look like. And so as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, we can see the kinds of things that reflect, uh, that characterize the unbeliever. We start in verse 17. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. 
they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And then verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, there's not a, that's, that's not a long list. Verse 19 really is the, the thorns, if you will, that come out of the unbeliever. But it specifically refers to giving uh, themselves over to sensuality and then being greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Don't just think within the narrow context of sexual purity and impurity. That's, that's a broader term. But then, if you look at verses 25 to 32, where Paul is saying what the transformed life should look like, think about it in terms of uh, what it shouldn't look like. You know, verse 25, a lying is a thorn that can come out of us. Uh, anger is a thorn that can come out of us, verse 26. Uh, verse 28, stealing is a thorn. Verse 29, corrupting, destructive talk. Uh, verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander uh, are thorns. And malice is a thorn. These are all the kinds of things that tend to come out of us when we're not walking in the Spirit, and they make it very clear to us that, hey, this is a problem, there's something wrong here, and of course, because we're all sinners, and we've all, to one degree or another, had these things come out of our lives, we know that these manifestations, these responses to the heat, to the difficult circumstances of life, they don't tend to make life better. Right? And, and that's where the deceptiveness of sin is revealed because in our own sinful, distorted, twisted thinking, sometimes we say, if I do this, that will make things better. Uh, if I express my anger, if I tell this person and give them a piece of my mind, somehow they will come to understand what they've done wrong. You know, and they'll submit to my way of thinking. Uh, or if I can just let them feel the pain that they've caused to me, repaying evil for evil, then maybe our score will be settled and things will be fine. No, that's distorted, crazy thinking. Uh, but that's what we tend to do. And that's why we tend to succumb to these temptations, because we think somehow this is going to make things better. But the reality is we hurt others, and we end up hurting ourselves, right? We shoot ourselves in the foot, as, as we would say. If you flip back just a few pages to Galatians chapter 5, we have the list of the deeds of the flesh, which uh, has some overlap with what we saw there in Ephesians 4. And again, these are the kinds of things that tend to come out of us in difficult situations. Uh, sexual immorality, verse 19. Impurity, uh, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. Thank you. Um... Uh, where uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Right. So that's not a complete list. He's just saying this is just a uh, a sample list of the kinds of things that are the deeds of the flesh. <laughs> I need to get a lapel. And deeds of the flesh is another way of saying thorns, or thorns is another way of saying deeds of the flesh. And there we have a bunch of specific things that tend to come out of us in 
difficult situations, in unpleasant, undesirable situations. And notice that some of them are not necessarily things that we do to others, right? Some of them are uh, fits of anger, rivalries, uh, sexual immorality. Those those are things that we tend to do to others in one way or another, uh, or do with others. But then others of these are things that really take place in the heart. Verse 20, idolatry. Uh, enmity, that's an attitude of the heart. Jealousy, you know, looking at what somebody has and wanting it. Uh, later on in that list, verse 21 is envy. Uh, drunkenness, you know, that can happen with others or uh, in, in private. Uh, so we respond not just in terms of how we engage with others, but also we respond in our own heart in these ways, and, and we cause these things to fester uh, in our own soul. And it's almost like, we grow these thorny branches that tend to curl up on each other, on ourselves, and we end up poking ourselves, right? Maybe some of you have experienced, and certainly we've all heard testimony of people who have gone down the path of sin, and perhaps it has affected other people, but uh, significantly it's affected their own lives, right? It's, it's led their life to go down a, a spiral uh, of sin. Well... Think, think about, as, as you think about those specific things, things think about like categories. Think about different ways in which we tend to respond. Uh, in the study guide, he, uh, Paul Tripp lists these kinds of categories. Uh, one of the ways we respond is by denying, avoiding, and escaping our circumstances. Right? We run away. Uh, we cut off relationships because we don't want to deal with things. Uh, we, you know, in these days, we block people on Facebook, or, or we, uh, when we see someone, we walk the other way. Uh, we do whatever we can to leave the situation. Maybe a, a spouse will leave the home, or kids will run away from home, or some other way that we try to escape. We quit our job because we just can't handle this situation with a coworker, or we switch churches because. We don't want to deal with situation. Obviously, there's all kinds of reasons people switch churches, but that happens very often. That's one category of thorny responses. We deny, we avoid, and we escape. Another category is we magnify and we expand and we catastrophize what we perceive others have done or our situation. We, we look at it and we look at it through a microscope and it becomes much, much bigger in our minds. And it, it was something that you know, was relatively small, we turned it to something big, and of course we call that making a mountain out of a molehill, right? And again, we've, we've all done that. We've looked at something someone said, maybe a facial expression that, they, that we perceived. We're like, oh, wow, that's, you know, they've offended me, right? Um, you know, I once had someone tell me that they thought I, I hated him, and I'm like, well, why in the world would you think that? He's like, well, one day we were in the worship center, and I looked at you across the room, and and you had this weird facial expression at me. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, to me, that would be magnifying something. I have no, you know, he, he saw something and he interpreted it a particular way. And thankfully, we were able to work through that. Or catastrophizing. You know, this situation, this, this is the end of the world. You know, this is going to be the end of our relationship where this is, everything's lost, you know, because of this situation. We, we make something far more significant than it is. And so, that means that we're not thinking biblically. We're not thinking accurately about it. Uh, another way we tend to respond is we become hypersensitive. 
You know, we're just looking for every little thing, and, and we can be so easily offended. Um, you know, our, our, our skin, it, it, by analogy, becomes sensitive to the, to the heat around us. And even just the normal things of life tend to just destroy us internally. Another category of response is that we return evil for evil. That whatever someone does to us, we pay them back with our, excuse me, with our words or with our actions. Uh, yet another response, category of responses, is we get bogged down. We get paralyzed or, or captured. We, we kind of become entangled and meshed. We maybe even, um, um, what's the, I'm trying to think of the, what happens when you get arrested? What are those things called? <laughs> we handcuff ourselves. <laughs> To, to, you know, just to ourselves because we're, we're just so paralyzed by what's happened around us. You know, we, we become in a state of shock, if you will, that we don't know how to respond. And so we just go in on, on ourselves and, and we get stuck. Uh, and then finally, another category of responding is we become self-focused and self-righteous, right? Our lens on the world, our lens of others is ourselves, or at least our perception of ourselves. And so... We evaluate others based on how we perceive ourselves. And we think, well, I'm clearly better than they are. I'm clearly a more faithful person. I'm, really, I'm clearly a more loving person. If they were just like me, you know, everything would be, would be well. And so we, we tend to focus in on ourselves and make everything about us. Those are all different ways that we tend to respond to the heat of life, right? And every one of us will do one of those things at various times or another. Uh, sometimes we'll have tendency to do uh, one or more of those things more than others. But those are the kinds of things that tend to flow out of us. So that's, that's kind of what the emphasis was last week. Of these, these are the things that tend to flow out of us. Notice, by the way, uh, and you know this to be true about life, when, when life gets difficult, what doesn't come naturally to us unless we've been sanctified, and that's an important caveat, but unless we've been sanctified, uh, what tends to naturally come out of us in difficult situations is not joy, is, is not love. I just, want to, I just want to love this person who's done something against me. Uh, it, it's not, I just want to serve and care for uh, those who are my enemies. Uh, I mean, just think of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You know, those things don't just naturally flow out of us, again, unless we've been sanctified by the Spirit, when we have difficult situations. That tells us that there's something wrong with us, right? It's not just those around us, it's, it's something in us. And as, as a reminder from a few weeks ago, when we think about the heat, don't only think about the difficult circumstances of life. Also think about the blessings of life. Sometimes really good things happen. And what do we do? We're like, well, of course that happened because of all of my hard work. <laughs> of course that happened because I'm just a good person. Of course that happened because I did the right thing. And of course God's blessing me. That's what he's supposed to do. Uh, you know, we can, we can become less dependent. We can become self-righteous. We can become um, materialistic, you know, and, and, and come to expect Good things to happen when things have been good. Such that, you know, when you have a season of blessing and then something happens, it's like, what happened? You know, what, what went wrong? I thought I was doing everything right. So what tends to come out of us are things that are uh, defined by the, the deeds of the flesh and ways of responding that are uh, displeasing to God. 
All right, now, let's talk about why. Why is that? Well, you already know that it's because of what's in our heart. That there are things in our heart, there's, uh, there's a soil in our heart, if you will, that produces those realities. Jesus said uh, in, in various places that it's out of the heart of man uh, that we are corrupt, that we are um, uh, spoiled, that we are unclean. Our words, our actions all come out of the heart. But we need, to, we need to explore that more today. Let me make the heart bigger here. Uh, if you've taken uh, many classes from me or, or frankly listened to some sermons uh, lately, you've heard me talk about how the heart has effectively three chambers biblically. There is the uh, cognitive chamber, which is the... Uh, thinking, uh, beliefs, that's where we, we do our rationalization, you know, planning, just our thinking part of the heart. And then there's the uh, affective part of the heart, which is where we experience emotions, our affections, if you will. Uh, that's also where we have our values, priorities. I or T's uh, desires, and perhaps that's the most significant one. Uh, and then our volitional uh, chamber, and that would be our will, our commitments, and then actually what we what we uh, say and what we do. And that's out of what we express. And I've, I've put dashed lines between those three because they're not independent uh, chambers. They all kind of are together, but that's just three ways to, to categorize. And I won't take the time to, to walk through the scripture that uh, would identify all of those aspects of our soul as being part of the heart. Uh, as a reminder, soul, heart, mind, uh, spirit are all synonymous terms in scripture. But the word heart is the Holy Spirit's favorite term, just by the amount of times it's used uh, Old, Old and New Testament. So we have all of these things, and in order to understand why do I do what I do, uh, we have to examine these different areas. And so just to extrapolate this a little bit more, when we think about what comes out of us, the thorns of our lives, we have to ask ourselves, well, what am I believing about God? You know, we've done a sermon series recently where I tried to emphasize the fact that what comes out of us, or what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that is absolutely true. And if we really consider the, the things that we struggle with when we respond sinfully to our circumstances of life, we can ask ourselves, what does my response say about what I believe about God? Am I believing that God is good or that God is out to get me? Am I believing that God is faithful or that he's unfaithful? Am I believing that, that God is out for my good or that he just doesn't care about me and so he's forgotten about me? Uh, there's all kinds of things that our responses to the the circumstances of life reflect some theology that we have. Theology means the study of God. Uh, we, we have some theology, some thought of God 
that is rooting the responses in our lives. Also, what we think about uh, mankind. When we are shocked, surprised, uh, disturbed at the way that other people act, uh, what, what does that say to, to us? What are, what are we reflecting we actually believe about mankind? I was talking to a pastor this week of another church, and he was seeking some help because he was honestly struggling with his faith. And one of the things that has contributed to his, his doubts and his questioning is he's seen so many difficult things, particularly sin in the lives of people who profess faith in Christ. And he's like, what's the deal? And I'm thinking, don't you know your theology? <laughs> don't you understand? Uh, that's not how, what I said to him, of course, but, um, but that's what I was thinking because uh, of, of course we sin because we're sinners, right? Even those of us who are saved by grace, who've been redeemed and regenerated and are being sanctified, we still sin. We still battle with sin. And so we need to think about how, what, what do my responses, if, if I'm responding in a way that's displeasing to God, what does that say about what I believe about mankind, about the nature of man, both myself and others? You know, uh, some people struggle with perfectionism, they would call it. I'm a perfectionist. What does that reflect about what you believe about mankind and the ability of mankind to be perfect <laughs> or to be as nearly perfect as possible? Right? Every perfectionist who's a believer would say, oh, I know I can't be perfect. <laughs> I just expect that my family's perfect, <laughs> that they clean everything perfectly and they do everything perfectly, you know, whatever. Uh, so we have to think about that. What, what, what is my response to the things of life? What, what does it say that I'm actually believing about mankind? Um, and as well, things like what do my responses say I believe about just reality? And this I just mean kind of everything else, the, the world around us. Uh, God's plans and purposes, uh, you know, uh, politics, geography, uh, or at least the, the geopolitical landscape. Uh, just how am I interpreting life? What am I believing about the world around me? And how are my responses reflecting that belief? Right? I, I, you, you probably heard me say before, we have a stated theology. We all have a doctrinal statement that... We have, you know, in our minds of this is what I believe about God, this is what I believe about man, this is what I believe about reality and everything in it, as far as I'm aware of those things. There's our stated theology, but then there's our functional theology. And our functional theology is that which uh, we function out of. Uh, we, we live out of our functional reality. And there's sometimes, perhaps many times, a, dis a difference between our stated theology in our functional theology. We would say God is good, God is loving, God is sovereign, God has you know, good purposes, all of those things, but then we respond in ways that reflect, I don't really know if God is good. You know, those, those kinds of differences. All right, that's our cognitive side of things. Perhaps one of the biggest drivers on the effective side of things is indeed our desires. You've probably been here many times, but go to James chapter 4, verse 1. 
James chapter 4, verse 1 says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now, this is talking about, obviously, conflict, uh, interpersonal conflict. And the reason that we have conflict with one another, one another is because we have conflicting desires. Right? You, you put two toddlers in a room, one of them get, gets a toy. There could be a hundred other toys in the room, but the second toddler wants the one that the first one has. Right? They have conflicting desires. They both want the same toy, and they don't want the other one to have it. So they fight. Right? And adults, we do that in a far more sophisticated ways. Uh, we, we do that within our homes. We do that you know, at the workplace. You know, we want things that are in conflict with the desires of others, and that's why you fight. Well, that's true, and that's obvious, but that's also kind of superficial. Uh, if you just focus on that, that kind of superficial object of desire, uh, that doesn't ultimately solve the problem because once that gets settled, it, you know, Johnny, share with you know, little, your little sister, uh, then there's going to be something else that's going to crop up. There's deeper desires that we have that produce uh, those surface-level desires. Desires like, I want life my way. Right? I, I will have all kinds of troubles and problems with, not just with other people, just, but just with the circumstances of life, because I want life my way. I want to be the one who decides everything in my life. I want to be the one who decides how, what the weather is going to be like. Right? I want to be the one who decides how I sleep, uh, how good I sleep, or how... Uh, well, yeah, nobody wants to sleep poorly. Uh, <laughs> but you know, there, there's something in us that wants to be the sovereign of our life. Right? We would never say it out loud. Right? We, we would never maybe even explicitly think it. But that can be a deep desire. And, and maybe one of the ways specifically... Uh, another way of putting this is control. We, we just want to be able to control the things around us. Uh, another desire that might drive us is I want um, pleasure. Let me put it that way. Now, to use one of the words from James 4.1. It doesn't have to be sexual pleasure. It can just be I want to have fun in life. I don't want to have hardship. I don't want to have difficulty. I just want to have fun. I want life to be easy. Uh, and so there are some who go down the path of you know, sexual addiction because they're just looking for one experience of pleasure after another. There are others who go down the path of extreme experiences, right? So they're doing uh, skydiving and you know, all of those kinds of things. I'm not saying that's bad or wrong. It actually kind of looks kind of fun. I'm just saying that it's possible that someone pursues those things because they just, they want that thrill, right? When we were in California now five years ago, we had an annual pass to Six Flags. Um, yeah, Magic Mountain, Six Flags. And uh, we lived just 10 minutes away, and uh, we would go there all the time because we, had, we got the food pass. <laughs> so we saved a lot of money in groceries. That was my primary motivation. Um, and, uh, and, and so we went on the rides, right, all the time. And there was, you know, those rides that initially just like, oh my gosh, this is so thrilling and freaky and you're screaming. And after a while, it's like, you know, you just lose the excitement, right? Because you're so used to it. You're flying through the air, you know, kind of hanging out like this. And at 100 feet above the air, you know, 
and everybody else is screaming, but you're so used to it, you're like, oh, okay, whatever. So what do people do? I need something else. I need something more. Uh, that's how people get addicted to stuff, substances. I just want to feel good. So they'll you know, start to take a little alcohol just to relax after a long day. But then they find that they need a little bit more and a little bit more. And eventually they find themselves addicted or same with drugs. I just, I just, want, to, I just want to feel good. I just want to have a little high. And before you know it, they need to have more and more and different uh, drugs in order to experience pleasure. Another thing that we might desire that drives our responses, you know, for some, maybe not as many, <laughs> I want to be healthy. I don't know why, but for some reason, Facebook is always showing me ads for healthy type stuff, exercising and you know particular diets. I'm not looking for it, I t <laughs> but it's there. It's trying to tell me something. Um, but right, we, we can get in arguments when you know uh, our family isn't uh, uh, doing what we want. Our you know maybe from one perspective, uh, we're wanting to provide healthy food, but nobody wants to eat it or we're wanting to be provided healthy food and it's not getting made, or we're wanting to engage in healthy activities, but everybody just wants to sit around and be a cash potato. Right? There's all kinds of ways that because we're thinking, ah, we need to be active, we need to be healthy, we need to be eating a lot of good food or healthy food, but the people around us aren't, then we can have conflicts. Or think about this, sickness. You know, it has nothing to do with anybody else, but sickness comes upon you. And because you just have this heart's desire to be healthy, to, to live a long life, to have a life that's free from pain and suffering, we become depressed and angry, even angry at God because he brought pain and suffering into my life through, through sickness. Uh, we can make health an idol, you know, where uh, a, a person... Uh, will spend hours every day neglecting their family, neglecting you know, their, their responsibilities and relationships because they just need to work out you know, two, three, four hours a day. Uh, there's all kinds of ways in which health can become uh, a desire that leads to thorns in our lives. Let me give you uh, one more. Uh, I want to... Um, please people. You know, sometimes we have this desire, and again, it's not inherently sinful. Uh, we have this desire that other people like us. Other people think well of us. Other people in, uh, enjoy being around us, and you know, we enjoy being around them, friendships and, and whatnot. And so sometimes we will respond to circumstances like by lying, because we want to put ourselves forward in a way that we think other people will, uh, will want to hear. We'll say things that we think people want to hear. Uh, we will uh, uh, change who we are just in terms of our personality or our interests. Because we want to conform ourselves to the, those that we want to be happy with us. Uh, we will struggle when someone's not happy with us. When, when someone we perceive they think wrongly about us, they have a wrong opinion about us, you know, we'll get discouraged and depressed and anxious about those things. You know, conflicts just destroy someone who's a people pleaser because they want to be at peace with everyone and they don't want to have that experience of, of being at odds with someone. Uh, and at the root of that can be just this, this innate desire 
or this core desire to, to be a people pleaser. I, I just want other people to think well of me. Now, um, let me give you two categories. Uh, there's all kinds of desires we could talk about, but let me give you two very, very broad categories of desires. There are desires that are disordered, and by that I mean that they are wrong desires. Um, whatever right desire there would be, uh, the, these are just plain wrong desires. Um, and then there are desires that are uh, unmeasured. That's kind of my term for it. I haven't seen anybody else use it. But this is a good desire that has grown out of proportion. You know, last week one of the questions that was asked was how do I know, you know, with a Y diagram of pleasing God or pleasing self, how do I know if I'm doing one or, one or the other? Because sometimes I can be doing something good or wanting something good, so how do I know? Well, I think one of the ways that we know if a good desire has become unmeasured, it's, it's grown out of proportion, is when we are either willing to sin in order to get it, or we respond sinfully when we don't get it. Those are the two easiest things. And when I say sin, I don't only mean we, we act out in sin, but there's a, a sinful attitude of the heart. You know, there's bitterness, there's anger, uh, there's uh, envy, there's jealousy. Uh, you know, it's very common for a single person who desires to be married, then, you know, their friend gets engaged and there's something in them that almost becomes bitter because their friend is getting engaged and they haven't found a spouse yet. Uh, th those are very common ways of responding. And, and it's a good desire that has gone out of proportion. Right? And we have this in all, all kinds of things. In fact, I would contend that among believers, this is the primary problem that we have. We have good desires that have grown out of proportion. And so when we think about uh, the struggles in our life, as you think about that area of your life that you've decided you want to focus on this quarter, I would encourage you to consider what are the underlying desires that I have, and if they're good desires, and I trust that they are, uh, have they grown out of proportion? In what way have they grown out of proportion? Have I, have I thought that, um, yes, I want to have obedient children, but have I, has that desire grown into a control desire? That kind of thing. All right, now we need to watch the video. It's about 21 minutes long. So we're going to watch the video, and he's going to go over some of this. But at the end, he's going to say, you know, go to this page in the workbook. Obviously, we don't have the workbook. But what I did give you is what he's pointing to in the workbook. So if you didn't get the handout, the x-ray questions, those are in the back. These x-ray questions are written by David Powelson. And these are just helpful questions to ask of yourself that will kind of dig into your own heart, that will help you think through uh, what, what is it in my heart that's producing uh, responses, emotions, uh, desires that are displeasing to the Lord, that are the thorns of life, right? So that's, that's what he'll talk about there at the end. You already have that. Uh, so basically, this will be the last thing. I'll just say a prayer at, at the end, uh, and then I'll let you go. Alright, very good. So, some repetition there, but of course, no one says it like Paul Tripp. And uh, he brought out not just the 
you know, the desires level, but how those reflect worship in our heart. That we've replaced, when, when, when our desires become unmeasured, that means that we've taken God off his throne and we've put our desires there, thinking that that's what will satisfy us. Now, I told you I was going to pray and be done. I'm not. Because I remembered something I want to say that I think is really helpful and important. When we are thinking about the thorns in our life, when you think about maybe the issue that you've identified that you want to grow and change in, or uh, maybe other things in your life, other things that you perceive in the lives of others, one of the things that is absolutely critical in working through this process of growth and change, identifying the thorns, getting down to the roots, is that we identify, we identify the thorns biblically. And the reason that's important is because if we don't, if we put labels on our thorns that uh, doesn't match up with what Scripture says, we're, we're going to come to the Scripture and we're going to be like, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. So here's what I want you to consider, and, and I'm going to make some broad brush statements. I'm not going to nuance it because of time, but just broad brush statements, right? So there, we, we live in a world that's psychologized, right? Uh, our whole world, uh, including the, the church at large, we've all imbibed the, the way of thinking of the world of psychology. And the world of psychology has what they call the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM. It's the Bible, if you will, of psychologists. And maybe more specifically, it's the book that identifies uh, or uh, collects together uh, common struggles that people face, and it puts labels on them. When you think about a psychological label uh, like uh, depression, uh, anxiety disorder, uh, OCD, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, ODD, um, obstinate defiance dis disorder, uh, and there's hundreds uh, of labels that are common in our world. Narcissism is a big one that's growing today. Uh, those are labels that are intended to communicate uh, a list of experiences or, if you will, symptoms that people experience. I, I want to be clear to say I'm not saying that the labels are false and reflect false realities. What I want to say is those labels, what they do is they are a summary that have been collected of, of experiences, behaviors that have been collected and put that label on top of that. And my example for that, uh, to make it easier to understand, is when we have pain in our head, what do we call that? A headache. What else do we call that? A migraine, if it's particularly intense. Now, uh, a headache can have multiple symptoms. Certainly the, the basic symptom is pain in the head. <laughs> Uh, but there can be other symptoms, like sensitivity to light, uh, sensitivity to sound. Uh, it, it could be other things. Now, a headache, if we stick that label on that pain in our head, does that tell us why we have a headache? Does it tell us how to get rid of the headache? No, it doesn't. The, the term headache is a summary label for our experience of having pain in our head. And perhaps if we have a migraine, it, you put other symptoms under that as well. So a migraine or a headache is just a label that summarizes a series of experiences. Right? In the same way, 
labels like narcissism, uh, depression, anxiety, OCD, you know, the, all of those kinds of things, bipolar. And again, I'm not nuancing. There's a lot of nuance I could give, but for, for today, I'm not. Uh, those labels summarize a set of experiences, behaviors, and struggles that people face. Again, the problem is uh, it doesn't tell you why those problems exist. Those labels don't tell you inherently what the solution is. However, because of the world that we live in, and again, you use the example of of a headache, even though the label itself doesn't tell me how to solve the problem, uh, as soon as I get a headache, I know how to solve the problem, right? Just take a couple Tylenol <laughs> and it'll go away. Uh, or if you get migraines, you know, you, you know that you have to put yourself in a particular environment, dark, you know, quiet, that, that kind of thing to, to help um, decrease your experience of, of, of pain. Uh, so the label itself doesn't tell you what to do. You just inherently know, oh, when I, when I have this, this is what I do. To, to try and deal with it. I, I remember having a coworker in Grace to You who said he would never want to take anything for his headaches because he wanted to know what caused it. So when he'd get a headache, he'd maybe drink water in case he was dehydrated or he'd drink caffeine in case he had a you know, low caffeine or whatever. And I'm like, why in the world would you do that? Just take the Tylenol, man. <laughs> That's me. But, uh, but in his case, he knew that just having a headache didn't tell you what the... Uh, what the problem was, but he didn't know that if he could identify the problem, he would know the solution, all right? Now, again, the the labels that we tend to use today don't point you to the actual source of the problem. It doesn't explain why you have those experiences. And, And I'm not saying anything different than what the DSM or what psychologists would say. They would affirm, yeah, those labels just ex- explain a series of things. They don't point you to the problem. But what they do, because of the context in which those labels are developed, even though the label doesn't point you to the solution, we naturally think, oh, when I have that, because these kinds of people created that label, they must know the solution, so I'm going to go to them. So meaning, when we have something like you know, anxiety, or depression, sometimes we'll think, I need to go see a psychologist to deal with this issue and whatever the label might be. So what we call something will direct us in our own hearts to what we think the problem is and what we think the solution might be. So when we're considering what is going on in my life, we need to be very careful to make sure that we're identifying and calling our problems biblical terms so that we can do two things. Number one, we can identify the source of the problem. Because God's word, as we read from Ephesians 4 and uh, Galatians 5 and other passages that would uh, identify the, the ways in which sin comes out of us, Those passages identify the source of our problems. James 4, your desires, your pleasures. And many other passages reflect the source. Why is this coming out of you? So if we use biblical terminology, we will be able to identify the actual source or the cause of those struggles. But then also, using biblical terminology will point us to the solution. If sin is our problem 
if wrong thinking, wrong thoughts about God, wrong thoughts about ourselves, wrong desires, if those are our problem, then the solution is uh, to renew our minds, to have new ways of thinking, to, to put on God's thoughts and put on righteous ways of living and behaving that reflect God's character. Now that's where we'll start going next in the next uh, session next week with uh, looking at the middle tree, the cross. But I just want to affirm it's vital if we're going to grow and change that we label things accurately. Otherwise, we're going to be lost because we won't we won't be able to find the terms that our culture uses uh, in the Bible. And so, so uh, make sure that you have those terms. And so the way to identify, like if you, if you think about narcissism for example uh, you, you can look up and see what are the kinds of things that make someone a narcissist well you look at that list and you're like man those are biblical uh, categories uh, someone who's self-focused who's always oriented around themselves uh, who's unloving they can't they can't um, consider that it doesn't enter into their mind to think about the, uh, other the needs of others and the, the the ways in which they can serve and care for others. So the way to um, move away from the label is to get to the specifics, to get to the longer list of experiences and symptoms, and then you'll be able to usually identify those things in biblical terms. All right? All right, let me pray.